It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosa. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosa. film lovers welcome to film sociology a film talk show here on wfyi hd to the point and wfyi.org if you have a question or a comment you can email me at m soce that's m s o c e y at wfyi.org i'm also on facebook also on twitter at matthew soce and uh, the show is available as a podcast it's also available on itunes and we have a blog which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com a little in just a little bit i got another epic chat i did last week with a uh, man of the kitchen author tv personality simon majumdar and uh we're going to talk about uh, what he's doing for 2017, as well as his uh, his antics on Cutthroat Kitchen. We'll also talk about cooking and cinema and music and cooking and cinema and music and cooking and all that stuff. A really fun chat, your pledge dollars at work. And uh, we'll get to the Academy Award and the Razzie nominations in a little bit. But I do want to say, opening in theaters this week, not a lot. Um, although I will say, because of the uh, success of the Academy Awards, and, except for Amy Adams, Arrival is getting a re-release in theaters. There's always one film that gets nominated, and then they put it out in theaters because it's not on video yet, and it's already out of theaters. And uh, this year, it's Arrival. So go, and that's worth seeing on the big screen, by the way. We have two films of, well, three films. We have Matthew McConaughey and Gold. Um, we also have the the latest and apparently the final chapter, I'll believe that when it happens, of Resident Evil, the final chapter, the once again teaming of Mila Jovovich and Paul W.S. Anderson, not screened for the press. We also have A Dog's Purpose, uh, because Lasse Holstrom directing Hashi wasn't enough. This is the dog film featuring the voice of Josh Gad and Dennis Quaid, and it ran into some trouble if you saw the footage of a of a dog being forced into water for a shot uh, in the film. And uh, some animal rights groups and the... Uh, are, are up in arms and up in paws. And the studio has pulled out a lot of the screenings and the premiere uh, last week. So anyway, it, that's I think they're just hoping that will just uh, open and uh, the trouble will go away. However, opening in theaters in Indianapolis, finally, um, this was a film that it didn't make my top 10, but it made my, my uh, honorable mention. It made you know, 11 through 20. And of course, for me, it's always a good sign that if you look through 11 through 20 and go, 
damn, that didn't make the top ten. It's a good year for film. And and a lot of times, contrary to popular belief, it's usually a good year in film. But the latest film from Jim Jarmusch called Patterson, which is about a character. Patterson is a city in New Jersey. It's also an author, uh, a writer who's also a bus driver. He's a poet who's a bus driver, played by Adam Driver, who's had quite the year or so between starring in Star Wars, the last Star Wars film, not the current one, Rogue One, and then also being in Martin Scorsese's Silence, as well as this. Um, Jarmusch's film's not for everyone. And um, this one is is going to be, it, it's a fun cinematic challenge. Uh, driver plays a bus driver who is also a poet. He doesn't try. He doesn't like to let people know this. There's some wonderful scenes with he and his wife, and he has this daily routine. And we go over the span of a week in this man's life. Um, if you thought Groundhog Day was too repetitive, and uh, I had a, sp- a friend of mine from college, uh, his spouse complained that Groundhog Day was too repetitive, and that was an actual complaint. Um, but this one goes through his daily routine of uh, getting into work, going to work, where he goes after work for a drink, and then back home. So what's fun about watching it is what are the differences between Monday and Tuesday, Tuesday and Wednesday, Wednesday and Friday, Friday and Saturday. So, uh, But it's it's a really understated film, and it does have a big payoff, not an emotional payoff. There is, to a certain degree, not of the uh, giant blockbuster portions, but it's it's a fascinating film to see, and I'm hoping this is one of those. Uh, uh, hopefully, we'll get a wider audience. You know, one of the benefits of getting an Academy Award nomination is that more people will go see it out of interest. And uh, you know, Patterson didn't get any nominations, but it's it's definitely a film worth checking out. And uh, and kudos to Adam Driver; he's had a fascinating uh, last couple of years. And uh, maybe he'll do more TV access in Mishawaka, Indiana. Who knows? But yeah, don't don't miss Patterson. Um, if you've seen all the Oscar-nominated films, and you know, other than the Oscar films, it's kind of a wasteland between now and summer. Uh, this is an exception to that rule. Okay, uh, so we mentioned that. All right, heading down to IU Cinema. Um, again, this all depends on what time you listen to this show. If you listen on Saturday, we appreciate it. If you listen on Monday, we appreciate it. But you're listening to a film show on a Monday. You probably didn't see anything. Okay, uh, Saturday, January 28th at 3 o'clock, the great 1940 romantic comedy, The Philadelphia Story. Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart. At 7 o'clock on Saturday the 28th, the 2017 Iris Film Festival. On Sunday the 29th at 3 o'clock, Twice as Nice from 1989. From um, 1989 at 6.30 p.m. as a part of the China remixed series Banana Paradise. Monday, January 30th at 7 p.m., the 2015 China remixed series film Where the Wind Settles. On February 2nd, uh, at seven o'clock, and this is the uh, this is the documentary "Rebirth of a Nation." Friday, February third, at three o'clock, a lecture from DJ Spooky, that sublim- subliminal kid, aka Paul D. Miller. Um, at six thirty is a part of the China Remix session, the two thousand drama romantic drama "In the Mood for Love." At nine thirty p.m. Uh, from nineteen ninety five, Shanghai Triad. And mark your calendars, folks, Saturday, February 4th at 3 o'clock as a part of the City Lights film series and the Science on Screen film series, 
at 3 o'clock on Saturday, February 4th from 1973. If you, 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 if you know the ending of the show, you know it, Soylent Green. And uh, at 7 o'clock on Saturday, February 4th, City of Mirrors at 7 p.m., a musical romance drama from 2015. That is all happening at the Artcraft. Or, I'm sorry, at IU Cinema over at the Artcraft. Um, nothing happening this weekend, but mark your calendars for February 10th and 11th, The African Queen at 2 and 7.30 p.m. Okay. Um, somebody asked me, well, I, I get it quite a bit, actually, is my, my initial reaction to the Academy Awards. And I go, well, let's see. Is this the year where some films get surprising nominations and other people get snubs? That's kind of what happened here. Um you know, obviously, I'm a big fan of La La Land. That was my number one film of 2016. Your nine nominees are Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Um, I would take Hacksaw Ridge out and replace it with Silence. Um, Lion is good. I don't think it's great. Uh, so something else I could put in there, whether it be Sing Street or, yeah, that's good, uh, or even Jackie um, to uh, to that. Um, and, of course, for Best Actor, Casey Affleck, Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, glad that's getting some love, and Denzel Washington in Fences. Andrew Garfield is this year's Kate Winslet. He is he is finally receiving an Academy Award nomination. It's for the wrong film. I think he put in a much better performance in Silence, and I think Silence is a better film. In fact, I would replace Mel Gibson in Best Director with Martin Scorsese. Um, Ryan Gosling seems to be an odds-on favorite. Denzel Washington's great in Fences. That's, that's something that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, in the Best Actress category, strong, strong fivesome here. Five, uh, quintet. Isabel Huppert for Elle. Ruth Nega for Loving. Emma Stone for La La Land. Natalie Portman for Jackie. Uh, Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. Yes, 20 nominations does not make you overrated. Sorry, President. Uh, whatever. Um... The other and now, of course, some of my uh, guys at the IFJA are saying that somebody who didn't who got a snub was Rebecca Hall for her performance in Christine. That's who we named best actress. It's a solid performance. Apparently not enough people got to see it. That's a shame. It's very good. Um, But uh, really like Natalie Portman, really like uh, Isabelle Huppert. And uh, so anyway, it's going to be a fascinating run. And, uh, and of course, there's arguments that people who are in supporting categories should probably be in lead categories. We're all looking at Viola Davis for Fences um, because she's up for Best Supporting Actress up against Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures, and Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. I think this is Davis's year. Hope, finally. Uh, and then quickly, for Best Supporting Actor, Maharash- oh, gosh, Mahershala Ali for Moonlight, Jeff Bridges, Hell or High Water, Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea, Dev Patel for Lion, that's another one people are saying should be a lead, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. Um, I really like Mr. Ali in in Moonlight, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping he gets it. Um, so anyway, and, and when it gets closer to the Academy Awards, we'll break it down a little bit. Uh, we're going to get to my chat with Simon Wajumdar in just a minute. But of course, the day before the Academy Awards, the Razzies come out. So here's your Worst Picture nominees. Probably the one that's going to sweep Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, Dirty Grandpa, Gods of Egypt, Hillary's America, 
Independence Day Resurgence and Zoolander number two. So you kind of get an idea where those are going. Anyway, again, when it, when it gets a little closer to the, to the Academy Awards, we'll discuss the Razzies as well. The Razzies are the 25th of February. The Academy Awards are the 26th. All right. Another example of... of Social media being used for good, not for evil. Simon Majumdar, who you probably know from Cutthroat Kitchen. He's been on Food Network quite a bit. He's written several books about food in America, in England, and elsewhere. And uh, a wonderful fan of eclectic music. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my epic chat with Simon. Well, first off, Simon, I want to say Happy New Year to you. And also, you are a proof that uh, social media can be used for good and not for evil. How are you doing, sir? I am doing very, very well. It can Yes, I know. I, I do get the odd uh, irate mail or Facebook message where occasionally when people have been watching me judge. But on the whole, social media has been very kind to me. Good to hear. What, so what does the year look like for you work-wise? It's going to be uh, pretty busy working. Uh, have a show that's going to be airing very shortly called Man vs. Master on the FYI channel. Um, and uh, what's really interesting, as well as the TV this year, more writing. I, uh, last year was so crazy that I didn't really have as much chance to do uh, writing, which is really what I consider myself more than anything. Um, so I, I've got a lot of that in the uh, pipeline, a lot of traveling. I'm off to Abu Dhabi soon and and uh, Qatar and Bahrain uh, for an event, and then lots of other speaking events, which I love doing. Um, and then on top of that, one of the things that is really exciting this year, I've started doing a series of dinners with UCLA with their history department, a kind of food history dinner where we take either a period in time or an ingredient and we cook a meal based around that and then have an academic explain it as we kind of go through it. So lots of exciting things this year. Well, can you give us an example of a dish for the UCLA class? that Have you been already studying menus already? Well, we did one already uh, in in the tail end of, of 2016, and we used saffron. And mm. saffron obviously has a, an amazing history. You know, wars have been fought over it, um, and it's had a great history as it traveled along the Spice Trail. So we actually did uh, a six- or seven-course meal following it all the way from North Africa through, you know, um, Iran and Iraq, cooking dishes from all those regions and India as well, even finishing up with um, saffron cake, which was grown in England, uh, which was, you know, because saffron was made in, uh, grown in England for health benefits. And there's actually a town called Saffron Walden in England that's very famous for its saffron cake. So we, we, we had a lot of fun with that. And we had a, an academic come along and talk all about the history and, and how it was traded and um fascinating stuff so we've got more plans either looking at other ingredients uh or to look at even some of the restaurants there's a great book called 10 restaurants that changed america and i've been reading that a lot recently and thinking about you know how restaurants developed in the united states you mentioned that uh, you're going to be having a, sh a series on the fyi network now you're actually talking to wfyi so we'll be sitting in the front row with our arms crossed <laughs> well this is um uh, a show that I'm going to be one of the judges on, and uh, it's a great show, Man vs. Master, where a lot of uh, real, you know, high-level chefs. I can't say too much about it at the moment, but sure. a lot of very high-level chefs will be com uh, 
cooking, you know, and mentoring, and I come on and judge at the end. But I, I'm not allowed to say too much, otherwise they'll they'll come after me. I understand that, but I, I will ask this. Will they make you wear silly costumes? No. <laughs> In this instance, I was not. I was. I was not obliged to wear anything other than my, my normal, very smart attire. Why do I have the um, feeling you have you have like one contract where you're allowed to be uh, strangely attired? Well, I love doing uh, the you know on clothes on Cutthroat Kitchen. Yeah, you know, they've had me dressed as everything from Princess Leia to Gandalf to, I mean, you name it. Uh, Frank, not Frankenstein. What have I done? Elvis, um, <laughs> Uncle Festa. I mean, they know, they know that basically, if they come up to me and that go, do you want? To, will you wear something odd? I'll just go yes because I don't care really. Well, <laughs> so it's, it, it's it was a bit of fun. It was funny, right? Probably later, later in the day when I when I heard that Carrie Fisher died, eventually your image came up in that in that getup, and so there's some tribute to that. But I was wondering how how far in advance did they tell you? Like, by the way, you're going to be you're going to be Uncle Fester on the next show. It it depends. It depends what um, when we start planning the themes because obviously there's quite a few shows themed now around Christmas and New Year's and people like those. So if I know that I'm being scheduled for that, they may even ask me, you know, what do you fancy? Um, <laughs> you know, when we did the um, Halloween one, you know, I had some ideas, but uh, they thought that doing Uncle Fester and Elvis were and Princess Leia was great. And I got such a great reaction to them as well, which was really fun. Uh, you know, people. I think, given that I'm often the very serious judge and a bit, maybe a bit grumpy occasionally, I think people just like the idea of seeing that I don't take myself too seriously. So that was fun. Now, now what? Which of these costumes are from your own collection? Uh, <laughs> almost none. Uh, no, none of them at all. Uh, uh, they, yeah, they're very good. We have great costume. Uh, or wardrobe department. We actually, I have to say, the crew of Cutthroat Kitchen is just one of the best. They they've become like a family now. How did how did you get into to television judging? Because for for a lot of people, that's how they know you right off the bat. Well, it it was almost a a happy accident in that I had uh, written my first book. I was living in the UK then. I had no plans of moving to the United States, although I'd met my now wife and. I, I came over here to do a book tour. My manager heard me on a radio show, uh, the BBC Radio World Service. And so we connected when I was in the L.A. trip and got talking. And he kind of started sending my book out to people. And I think someone at the Food Network read it. And oh, two days before our wedding, way back when, um, two days before our wedding, I got a, he was contacted by the people who produce Iron Chef and and they asked me to go in and uh, for an interview and I thought at the time it was just going to be for you know the standard Iron Chef America episodes which is wonderful but mm -hmm. they have a lot of different judges do that and it turned out they were looking for someone to do the next Iron Chef when they choose a new Iron Chef which is obviously quite a big gig and I I honestly thought well this is too big you know I've never done television over here i'd only done a little bit in the uk um so i'll just go off and enjoy my honeymoon and that was an interesting experience and the next thing i know two days later in, in portugal we get a phone call going uh they're going to need you to come back <laughs> a little early so we kind of came back and the next thing i know i'm standing on a beach next to michael simon and alton brown and, and that was really it and now i'm probably if not over approaching rapidly 200 shows on, on different channels. So 
I guess this is part of what I do now. It's still always a bit of a surprise to me. Oh, yeah. Well, and how much, I mean, how's your calendar juggling between writing and television and cooking and husbandry? Well, the, the, the television side is fairly easy because it's block booked and they tend to film these shows very quickly over a month or a few weeks or whatever. So you can plan those ahead. Speaking engagements, again, tend to be uh, booked. And I love to do those particularly because I do a lot of cooking demos. I do uh, some, ch- obviously, charity events, and then I'll do some uh, speaking demos uh, where I talk about my kind of life change because I did this at a you know middle stage of life. Um, and then my wife and I, whenever we get the chance and we have any downtime, then we basically just put on our backpacks and off we go. We go traveling. We recently got back from uh, Africa and Spain, and last year we were in Colombia and Israel and Jordan, and as I said, coming up, we've got Abu Dhabi and Bahrain, Qatar, and then we're going to uh, also Armenia, and basically wherever we haven't yet stuck a pin in the map, and and we're, we're really determined to keep going as much as we can. Well, Indiana's lovely this time of year, but, you know, that's you can only say that for so long. I've, I I like Indiana. I've got I've got a good pal who's in Evansville, Indiana, where where there's a great show, uh, restaurant whose name escapes me right now. It sells a pig brain sandwich. Very good it is too. I was just in Evansville a couple of weeks ago. A dear friend of mine from college had just directed Titus Andronicus, one of Shakespeare's oh. uh, best culinary plays. <laughs> well, it's a, it's an interesting town because apart from the sandwich I mentioned. I I didn't really know that that's where they built a lot of the, or if not all of, the American landing craft for the Normandy invasions. Oh, wow. And so it's got a very important part in American history, and they have a, a little museum there, and you can actually go and see them. So, you know, that that's an area of uh, the United States that contributed hugely to, you know, the battles for freedom. So uh, it's an area that I, I need to get back to soon. Well, we'll we'll wait for you. That's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, now I know uh, Fed White and Blue recently came out on paperback. Am I right? It came out uh, about eight months ago, okay. actually, in paperback. So it's been out a little while. Um, the hardback did, you know, nicely. Thank you very much, and, and the paperback's <laughs> done well too. So it's again opened up a lot of opportunities because it's um, it's a different story. You know, obviously, right at the moment. Without going into politics, we're having lots of conversations about the nature of immigration in the United States, and 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 you know that's what I am. I'm an immigrant to the United States, and I'm I'm an unlikely one in the sense that I had no plans to do it until I got married, and um, you know I'm I'm coming in the my the middle stage of my life, but um, you know I still I still find it uh, really uh, interesting, and and kind of my reaction to being both. I'm a dual citizen so to being both British and American. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you, so you, I know you've read, written, I should say, Fed White and Blue, Eat My Globe, and Eating for Britain. I think I have the next one, Space. <laughs> the idea is... Eating, by the way, yeah. you know, yes. I always say, though, it's like, you know, I went to the moon once. It was dreadful. There was no atmosphere. Um, <laughs> wow. But I know. It's, just, it's, it's, it's awful. <laughs> I, I wouldn't blame you if you hung up. No, no, no. But, my, my idea is you, 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 make the, uh, you make various dishes that have appeared in various sci-fi films and television programs. Oh, you know what? I mean, cooking from films, there's so many uh, great films either that are based on food, you know, whether it's things like Tempopo or uh, things like that, or films that are you know have great meals in them whether you're watching goodfellas or or whatever 
and so uh, I'm and I'm always intrigued by uh, food in history as well. So that's really what I'd like to do. I think one of the things I want to work on now, maybe inspired by my UCLA event, is to kind of look at some of the food. What what would be a meal at uh, you know the last meal in Pompeii or yeah, I've done a lot of research in in Fed White and Blue into what the pilgrims ate when they first came here, or uh, looking at you know meals that yeah, Henry VIII ate, or whatever it is. There's so many different possibilities um, that I think there's a there's a there's a book in there as well. Now, if I remember, I believe there was a film that came out I think four or five years ago with John Malkovich called Lines of Wellington. Oh gosh! No, you're going to have to remind me of that one. I'll send you a note on that. But, uh, but yeah, that immediately, as far as food and history came to mind, I would say, do you have particular favorite film uh, food moments or cooking moments? It's actually my. Uh, I always think of food not in not in terms of um, the films themselves, or all the. There are some that you know make me just need to go out and eat a certain certain thing like if you watch Jiro Dreams of Sushi inevitably you're going to go out and go and have some great sushi very soon and in fact it probably prompted my wife and I to make a revisit to Japan not so long ago um, but for me it's all about uh, I mean I, I'm a great film fan but I tend not to watch films or TV shows about food simply because I don't know if Americans know this phrase it's what we call a busman's holiday mm-hmm and you have where the you know the busman goes on holiday and ends up having to drive his family around for a week <laughs> and and so to be honest i don't watch a lot of shows about food um on on or films about food just because i find i do enough of it in the meantime and what i want to watch is something completely different so my my kind of thing is going through um and trying to find old movies like i'm a huge fan of um the old hollywood stars so David Niven, Cary Grant, Rex Harrison, mm-hmm. the kind of the the days of the gentleman actor, which I think have kind of disappeared almost entirely now. And I go watch Dawn Patrol with Errol Flynn and David Niven or something if I'm if I'm really wanting to just calm down and and relax. Back when the the most casual meant no tie, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and I jacket. Well, my grandfather was like that. I mean, he never went out. Uh, I mean, he died in the early 80s, but he never went out without a jacket and tie. And, in, you know, and I inherited what we called his demob jacket, which was when they, he, you know, he left the army or whatever it was he was in in the Second World War, and they were given enough money to go and buy a suit, and they were given a big kind of overcoat, which I wore as a a student and kind of a uh, college in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I, I, I understand the busman's holiday. My, my father was a doctor, and I remember when I was 19 trying to talk him into seeing my, the film My Left Foot, and he's like, son, I see this every day. I don't, I don't <laughs> you know, or the flip side was he would watch like Chuck Norris movies, and he could tell you how to, how to take care of the guy whose arm was broken in the other direction. That's, I think that's the other side of it. It's, it's actually very interesting is sometimes if you're watching a show where they have uh, a food element or they have a chef on and they're doing something and it's all wrong. And you just, <laughs> end up, that's it. You just can't watch anymore. You have to turn off the television because of the, the way they're slicing the tomatoes or whatever they're up to on the screen. And it's just all wrong. And it just ruins everything. So I try and avoid it. My wife is, uh, she's a musician. She plays piano and she sings. So, of course, yeah, watching actors play mu- musical instruments 
and one of the most you know one of the considered one of the greatest films of all time has one of the goofiest piano performances, and that's Sam in Casablanca. Oh, I I was going to say I suspect that that is just a very bad miming. It, it, unfortunately, yes, it's a memorable moment, and yes, we all sing "Knock on Wood," but that's and it, you know my wife will just kind of sit there and go, "So not playing." <laughs> and it is. It's like you know I've watched a number of chefs on TV, uh, not number of chefs, a number of people playing chefs on TV, mm-hmm. and you just go, "I have no idea what they're doing, but I wouldn't <laughs> want to eat it." <laughs> Has has there ever been an actor who's gotten it down really well? Oh, actually, there's that there's a scene in um, Goodfellas where they're in the I think it's a classic scene when they're in the prison and they're making a marinara sauce or a tomato sauce and they're busy slicing the uh, garlic with razor blades and yep. thinly doing and they make the and they put lots of oil in the pan and there lots of garlic and it begins to sizzle and they've got it at the perfect temperature so you get the sizzle without the garlic burning and then they start adding everything else and it's it's absolutely perfectly done and I suspect that's because everyone in that film had been brought up well most people in that film had been brought up by their Italian or Sicilian grandmothers and uh, <laughs> knew exactly how to make a sauce. But it was perfect, and that that is one of them where I always feel very uh, kind of like hungry afterwards. Yeah, that, I was in college when when Goodfellas came out, and it spawned a bunch of guys with razors and garlic. To end, oh, I'm you know, sure. And, and a lot of impatient people waiting for food to be ready. Well, they actually made didn't they a, a Goodfellas cookbook? I think after that, I believe there is that. I think I think a great double bill is that in Big Night with Stanley Tucci oh, and Tony Shalhoub. Of course. Um, you know, the, the, the first time that was my first experience with the timpani. And I remember there was like a dozen of us in the theater when they opened it. Everybody gasped in in awe of this <laughs> wonderful thing. You know, it's it was the third best dish in the film next to Mini Driver and uh, Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> and my wife's patting me on the head right now, figuratively on that one. Um, <laughs> OK, I guess Simon, I guess what what films have you been able to watch recently? New, old, doesn't matter. You know, I've been going to see um, – my wife's a big Star Wars fan, so we went to see Rogue <laughs> One recently, um, which – and I I must be one of the few people who is – and I don't dislike Star Wars. I'm just ambivalent about it. I was always far more of a Star Trek fan than Star Wars and, and always found them rather tiresome. But I actually thought Rogue One was, was of, of the ones I've seen, much better. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm watching – which is, uh, I can't remember the name. It's a, a young man from Northern Ireland has made a, a series on the history of film. I think he made it about four or five years ago called The Story of Film. And it's very, very in-depth, and it goes all the way back to um, you know, the beginning of French cinema, and it goes through each country. It's very, very in-depth to go through Potemkin. And the other thing I've been, uh, and so I've been watching that and really learning because it looks at all the editing and the, the changes in technique. And if I really recommend that. It's on one of the streaming channels, but it's called The Story of Film, Not to be Missed. And I'm eking it out bit by bit because I don't want to get to the end of it. Um, and the other thing, because of my Indian background, I've been watching recently, just to kind of reacquaint myself, Sachajit Roy's, uh, Patha Banchali mm-hmm. and uh, the the chess players and a lot of his films and we had a family connection with them in Calcutta. A lot of those films were filmed in in Calcutta and in fact I think my grandfather's 
house uh, which had a, a huge garden was was actually used in a few scenes from the chess players and those are films that i think really are, are defining i think in many ways in film do you remember the the first film that uh, resonated with you as a kid um do you know i i can i can tell you uh i was i was a great fan of the Ealing comedies. I'm not sure again if you you know a lot of those. It was Ealing Studios in London. They had people on their on their list like Alec Guinness, a young Alec Guinness was on there. Robert Donat was a very Stanley Holloway. So a lot of these kind of people, Kind Heart and, and Lady Killers, and absolutely, right. those are exact exactly the ones. And uh, the Man in the White Suit. And, yep. Um, and they they made a version of a Noel Coward. Uh, pl- uh, play uh, play called Blythe Spirit, which I believe Rex Harrison and Claudette Colbert were in. In but the um, the lady in it who played uh, was Margaret Rutherford. Oh yeah, who was the who, and Margaret Rutherford was the original Mrs. Marple. Yep, Miss Marple, and she was just wonderfully batty, and rather reminded me of my grandmother, who was a very quirky Welsh lady, and I just loved that film. And so Blythe Spirit was one that I just and I, it, and I think partly just as with good food, it's not about just watching the film in isolation in a vacuum. I remember those because on a Sunday afternoon after a rather large Sunday lunch, the whole family would sit down and they had a period where they would show Elon comedies every Sunday afternoon. And the whole family would sit down and they were funny. They were lighthearted. They were, you know, very just gentle films. And I and uh, we used to watch them every Sunday, so they they really kind of stay with me. So whenever I see them, I have that almost Proustian thing of remembering time with my family. And I think um, the only person who's kind of captured that more recently, and even that's a few years ago, is uh, Bill Forsyth made some wonderful films in the in the eighties and nineties. Oh God. Local, local hero. hero, local hero is one of my favorites. Local yeah. hero. I was thirteen when that film came out, and that and Tender Mercies were my introduction to the concept of less is more. Well, that's very. I mean, as you've got it, and there's a wonderful scene, uh, and I can't remember the name of the actor who's no longer with us. Where um, they're on the beach, and he's trying to buy uh, the, the, the land, the village. Yeah. The buy the village, and he goes, "I'll uh, I'll sell it to you for however many grains, a dollar for however many grains of sand I have in my hand." And it's a beautifully understated uh, piece of acting from both sides, and it's a, it's a film that just makes me laugh out loud, but it's also very kind of fun and gentle. And I I think we we've lost I think a certain amount, a lot of that in in the noise of modern cinema. Yeah, and just as I think. We've lost a lot of the technique and nuance in the noise of modern food. And a lot of times I'll go to a restaurant and everything is screaming with salt and acid. <laughs> and, and, and foam. And, and, and foam. And it's just kind of noisy and everyone trying to show all the tricks they know. And I think a lot of the people, if we go back, like Bill Forsyth and before him, people like David Lean. Um, I mean, these are people who, who knew how to how to make you do some of the work. Uh, and because of that, it was so much more impactful. And so I think I, those films are ones that I will always try and seek out. And I think Less is More is a 
is a kind of lesson that a lot of young filmmakers could could learn again too. And and local hero was the first of the and it's it's kind of a sub sub genre and they don't actually have these in well they don't have video stores anymore but it was the first of me of my experience of the quaint little town overseas where everybody is fascinating and you look it looks like you want to live there and i i think of waking the divine the englishman yep. who went up a hill and came down a mountain you know one of those quaint uk ta- cinema towns and i think they have a definite link to the ealing comedies um if you see one i think it's not kind hearts and coronets um i can never remember which one but there's one where they find that appear an area of london it's got stanley holloway in it it's a wonderful film um that one of the areas of London was actually originally a French duchy, and they declare themselves independent during the war, and they're all blockaded off. Um, and Margaret Rutherford is also in it, and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. And it, each everyone's a character. You know, the police officer on his motorcycle is always a little bit tipsy, and and all of those kind of things. And they're just they just make you smile. And I think. You know, it's all right being in shock and awe and looking at the CGI and all of those things, which are wonderful. But sometimes it's just I would equate it to the perfectly cooked piece of fish. <laughs> it just makes you smile mm-hmm. or a well-made omelette and and a, a film that just makes you sit back and feel happy for a short period of time, I think, is something that we've forgotten the pleasure of. You mentioned David Lean, and, and I think everybody assume, automatically thinks of his later films, which are huge, vast spectacles. But then, you know, his smaller films, doing something like, uh, oh, God, he did a film version of uh, Summertime and Oliver Twist and Great Expectations, which were smaller by comparison. But it's it's kind of like, I think, what you're saying with food. It can be a simple piece of fish. It can be a seven-course meal, so long as it's so long as it's enjoyable. Absolutely. Well, Oliver Twist, I thought, was was a wonderful film. Um, and, and I think in many ways they were blessed just with the acting talent, much of which had come out of the theatre, as it tends to, I think, in the UK, more so than perhaps in the United States. And we had people like, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think, uh, Cole, uh, who died fairly recently, and uh, the gentleman who played Scrooge, whose name has totally escaped me in in the Christmas Carol, and also was in the St. Trinian's films. Uh, my mind has totally gone. Any, but I think we had all of those um, really terrific stage actors, and you had people like Gilgood and Olivier and people like Robert Donat, and they'd all spent a lifetime on the stage and were bringing those kind of very um, kind of subtle skills into the camera. And, and so I think it was also the period where cinema was learning as well, so I think they were they were you know they were very uh, important, and I don't think they get often the recognition that they deserve. Yeah, I, going back to it's funny because I know Criterion has put out a bunch of the the Ealing comedies and some of the uh, some of the lean films. I I keep demanding every year. I think they should do a two disc treatment of Local Hero. I know I know enough people that in my circle of friends that that would purchase it. The other thing the circle of friend or the, that uh, Local Hero did was introduced for me Peter Capaldi. Oh yes. <laughs> and I and for for a long like cuz I remember seeing him in Lair of the White Worm. Yeah, I saw that. And Dangerous Liaisons and he was always a that guy until the thick of it where you know that guy finally gets his I finally was able as an audience member uh commit his name to memory. And I think that's a great sign of a of a quote unquote character actor. Well, I think he he really was and he 
the thick of it was was obviously a huge success and has morphed because of the work of Armando Iannucci into Veep mm-hmm. in the in the United States, which has become its you know in its own right a very successful you know rightly successful show, and the writing is brilliant and. It's very, very well done. But I think it was great to see people like Peter Capaldi coming out of that kind of background. Um, also, in local hero, Dennis Lawson, who I think yeah. is one of those actors who's so underrated. Um, and most people, I think, in the United States might know him because he had a very fleeting appearance in Star Wars. In fact, yep. bringing the circle around to Star Wars. But um, just a, an actor of incredible range, and again, just somebody who just makes you very kind of happy when you watch them on screen. And I think those those kind of actors are very important. I mean, I think of the modern generation, people like George Clooney have that ability to an extent, but I can't think of many others where they're just so amiable, although they're capable of playing, you know, darker roles. Mm-hmm. They're just so good on screen that um, you just feel very... You know, you want to go and see a film with them in. I think of more recent generation people like Gene Hackman is another one. Yep, he's and always he's go always and, good you know, even if, I, if the film isn't. I'm sorry. He's always good even if the film isn't. I think he, that's a big uh, a big thing for me. If if you would watch a film even though the actor is uh, in something that's not as great, and you know, if ever I see Hoosiers on screen, I'll always stop and watch it. <laughs> We appreciate uh, or that. Or James Earl Jones is another one who, you know, if you, if ever I see Field of Dreams, I stop and watch that. Not, it's, I think it's a, a fun film overall, but the reason I watch it is because James Earl Jones is is never less than fantastic in every scene, mm-hmm. and it's and it's just you know wonderful. And one of my you know favorite scenes in any movie is in Field of Dreams where you know Kevin Costner says to him, they go to the baseball game. He goes, "What do you want?" And he and James Earl Jones goes off into a ten-minute wonderful rant about how he doesn't want people following him as a hero and blah blah blah. And Kevin Costner goes, "No, no," and points towards the concession stand and goes, "What do you want?" He goes, "Oh, sorry, a dog and a beer." <laughs> and it and to me, it's just so perfectly timed, and he's so brilliant in it that it. I think it's one of the great scenes in cinema. And it says um, a lot. And it's just and it it's for, almost not forgotten, but I don't think it gets the recognition it deserves. Excellent. Yes. Um, and you were, we were mentioned earlier with actors like Dennis Lawson. I, I think of, you know, the quote unquote character actors. My wife says all actors are character actors. I agree with my wife. Uh, but also that guy or that person. They're kind of like the linemen if it's football or the session players if it's if it's jazz. Somebody who can be a band leader and a set side person, side man at the same time. Well, I've always um identified with those kind of people i think because uh there's there's actually two great films uh, one called that guy in that film and <laughs> yep. uh, there's one called that girl in that film and it's all these great character actors who you see in everything and you go oh yeah there's that guy and you have to mm-hmm. go and look up who they are on imdb or whatever it is but in many ways um i kind of think of myself like that because you know in terms of tv you know i'm not the the big shouty loud food guy who's going to travel around i'm not um but I, I i do a decent job and they bring me in when they need me and then it, off i go and do something else and so uh I, you know i have people coming up to me and you go in the airport someone did it this saturday and said are you are you that guy in that cooking show <laughs> And and I said yes because I I mean he probably couldn't remember what show, 
and didn't know who the what I was, but just said, "Are you that guy?" And I said, "I, I was told my wife," and I said, "That's actually not a bad place to be." <laughs> the one with the accent, right? Yeah, and often it's the. I think it was because he heard me talking more than anything else. <laughs> so I actually think it's it's yeah, it's a good place because, um, you know, you can become very fashionable and unfashionable in lots of businesses, film and food and everything else. But if you're, if you, I think you get as much work by being dependable as you do by being uh, excellent. So I just try and never let anyone down. So I find those those uh, people, that guy and that woman in the in those films, are quite an inspiration in many ways. That guy in that cooking show might be your autobiography title. Uh, well, yes, yeah, I think that'd be a great one. That guy in the cooking show. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Um, I guess I, one of the things also I, I have to I have to tell folks um, you you recently did a Facebook Live, and um, it, which was fun to watch, and and I, I learned I I was able you, you were just kind of doing your bit, and then you would read, and you do your bit, and you'd read, and I was one of those watching it, and I wanted to see how well you could read and do your bit, and I started typing Monty Python lines, and you read one. Oh my God! Well, I—I I, I mean, I was brought up on Monty Python, so. So as you were as you were talking about your thing, and then you started to read some comments, and finally, out of nowhere, I just typed, "Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition." <laughs> then I started. Then I started printing summer holiday lyrics, Cliff Richard song lyrics, but that didn't happen. Oh wow! So. Well, that really is going back. I, again, I used to remember watching all of those. Not in the, the originally. I was I wasn't even born when I think Summer Holiday came out because I think that was early sixties, sixty one. Yes, it 62. was. Yeah, my my um, we have a we have a British telly club here at uh, at the radio TV station, and uh, one summer we showed English cinema as a part of a thank you gift, and the very first film we showed was Summer Holiday, and my daughter was five and she was dancing in the back to it's all a great the numbers. Song. Summer Holiday is a wonderful song. And I think in many ways it, it kind of summed up – it's almost like the happy days of Britain in the sense that it summed up a period in uh, history that was never quite as joyous and gleeful as we like <laughs> to think it was, but, but we, want to, we want to believe it. Right. And, and the notion of these four young men going off on vacation in a, in a London bus around uh, France, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, well, they go for, yeah, they go from London to Athens, but they'd meet, they meet, of course, they have wacky adventures along the way. And there were, there were a series of those films, and I think, again, there's, there's other films from the kind of that period in Britain. Obviously, you have what were known as the carry-on films. Oh, yeah. Which, um, I mean, just have a place of kind of real joy in British history, because they were incredibly you know simple they were they were all made for about 3 bucks 50 <laughs> they were they were all with the same cast they they basically recycled the same jokes but the, it was there was just something about the people who were involved like Kenneth Williams and Sid James mm-hmm. and Hattie Jakes and all of those kind of again all of whom had come out of theater and many things so they were just very very funny and I still, again, not that you have to see it very often on American television, but if I'm back in the UK and there's a carry-on film, you just leave it on and everyone knows all the lines and they're very silly. 
but they're just part of our our history. Mm-hmm. I would almost I'm not sure what you would equate them to in the U.S. I don't think there's anything quite like them. Well, I I, I immediately you were talking about recycling sets and things. I just watched one of the Hammer films, and that's kind of the same the same castle, same plunging necklines, the same fangs, you know, that, you know, that sort of thing as far as uh, costume dressing and, and actors for that matter. Um, as far as modern stuff, I, 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 I can't think of anything. What does come to mind are the kind of low-budget Roger Corman films of the 60s and 70s, and they had yeah. the, the same actors in the same locations, and you could shoot car chases in the south and in California deserts. Well, I think the um, with the Hammer films, what always surprises me is that alongside the fact that they were incredibly cheap, some of them were very, very scary. Mm-hmm. And they, they were, and I think that's just down to the talent of the actors and, and good writing. A lot of them were written by people like Dennis Wheatley, who wrote a lot of horror novels. So they were well, you know, well written. And then you, you just had good directors. And I think a lot of, directors who went on to become quite well-known started really cut their teeth on our Hammer films. People like Michael Winner, I believe, and people like that. And uh, another, well, going to what we were talking earlier, the director of Summer Holiday was uh, Peter Yates. Oh, wow. He would later... Yeah, I mean, it was uh, he did one. Sydney Fury did, uh, I believe, the young ones before that, and Herb Ross did the choreography. So to go from Cliff Richard to Bullet to Breaking Away, that's, that's not bad. I mean, these are, you know, people who did. They got to cut their teeth very young. And I think I'm not sure that the world, the film world exists in the same way. And people just so much money is being spent on films right. now that you get the opportunity to do that anymore. Um, you don't get to, to kind of learn in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that's also true, you know, bringing it back to food. You know, it takes millions to set up a restaurant. And. And I think young chefs were struggling to get opportunities to start their own. And in fact, one of the things that I think has helped turn that around is the food truck thing, because for a lot less money, you can go and create something that's your own, very personal and your own in a food truck that's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars rather than hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so I think that's almost the equivalent of like indie filmmaking. That's actually a really good comparison. We just we just had an indie one of the longest running food trucks have to shut down because of the weather, uh, because of the winter and then financial stuff. But uh, but yeah, there's we have. Uh, I, I'm assuming there there are first Fridays that happen in L.A. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we have we have we have those. So the trucks are still out there. But I, I always always try to hit a food truck, especially in cold weather. It's kind of like going to live music or going to, to arts or theater in the dead of winter when most folks like to hibernate. Well, it's very hard work um, in running a food truck. And I think when it first started, when I first started coming over here from the UK, um, I mean, it started in L.A. with Roy Choi and Kogi and using the old Lonchero, you know, food trucks that were feeding the workers. And he he was the one who converted it to create Kogi. And that really started the trend. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of people kind of, jumped on board very very quickly and i remember them be they're having twitter apps so you could find them and it was all very hip and you go driving around town trying to find them uh, and obviously i think those days have passed and now what we're finding is the people who re- are really dedicated to their craft are doing it and i think that's true you know talking about going back to films you know it's hard work i mean i have friends in the business and i'm working 
on something I can't say too much about at the moment with some producers who are working on a film project, and it's just hard. So unless you are really dedicated and really believe what you're doing, it's much easier to quit and go, I'll go and sit behind a desk. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and that's the same in any job. And I, you know, I say that as a freelancer doing what I do, and I'm very lucky that I'm busy, but there's plenty of opportunity for me not to be busy. And you know, I'm at home right now just because I have a break and I'm able to chat with you. But there's always that fear that I'm sure all actors have as well, that someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Go back to what sweeping a floor somewhere or whatever it is you were doing or when is, you came out of college. Or is the line in Glengarry Glen Ross uh, says, always be closing. Always be closing. Absolutely. Yeah. I am all. And it, it, it's one of those things. It's a, a life when you're, you're not on a contract to someone and you're doing things is, 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 insecure and i think even if you're doing well there's there's always that insecurity that you won't be doing well next week right so or the, or and and so you know i find this as well and i've started doing some radio as well a food, with a food radio show um and there's i chat with the host of that show when i'm on it and it's the same thing he says it's you never know so this insecurity is something that goes through any any career i think where you're a freelancer Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, shifting gears a little bit, um, what have you been cooking around the house lately? I've been cooking um, a lot of Indian food. When I'm at home, that tends to be my comfort food. So if you go on my Facebook page, you'll see I last week, I, uh, last night rather, I made uh, tandoori chicken wings for my wife, mm. and she <laughs> devoured them very quickly. Um, and um, I made at the weekend, I was with some friends doing an event uh, in Phoenix. And so in the evening, I ended up cooking for them because I hadn't had much chance to be in the kitchen to cook. Um, and I cooked a biryani, which is a wonderful dish, in this case of chicken uh, in spices layered with rice on the top. And you seal it and, and cook it very slowly. So it all kind of puffs up. It's really delicious. And I'll put some recipes for those on my website. And then I'm really inspired by my travels a lot. So wherever I go, whether that's in the U.S., and I've been lucky enough to go to every state in the United States, uh, and to, I think I'm somewhere between 70 and 80 countries now. I have no idea exactly how many. But wherever I go, there's always something, one dish here, one dish there, that I just, I go, I have to try and recreate that when I get back to, um, back to L.A. So... Some of the things that uh, I ate when I was recently in Zanzibar, hmm. and I was visiting some of the spice plantations, and Zanzibar has a really interesting mix of Indian and traditional African and even some Spanish and French because it was a big port, because it was one of the big spice ports. So I was eating some incredible stuff there. And a lot of the food that I ate when I was in Jordan and Israel is really staying kind of with me right now. So I've been making a lot of the hummuses that they make there or shakshuka which is a great dish with peppers and tomatoes and mm -hmm. eggs that they is a breakfast dish so i i think it, wherever i go i've always got my notebook and my phone to take pictures and always making notes and always talking to local chefs or even just you know the mums of the people i meet about their favorite dishes just curious when you travel is there I get I, I haven't checked, but is there a limit to how much spice you can bring back into the states? No, spices not so much. Uh, there's some very strict rules on lots of other things, of course. Right. Um, but but then you find there are certain 
not loopholes, there are allowances that I didn't know. So only recently, you know, everyone's always wary about bringing meats and cheeses back. Well, meats are definitely a no-no, but uh, you can bring back hard cheeses. You can't bring back soft cheeses, uh, but you can bring back hard cheeses. So when I'm in England, I'll bring back big blocks of cheddar or blue cheeses or from Spain we brought back some big chunks of manchego and we've been working our way through those so uh, my wife uh, is an attorney so she's very good <laughs> at going and finding out what's what's allowable and what's not and we we, st we stick to it because you know we don't right. break any rules but uh, we're, we're not we're not like these who uh, kind of <laughs> smuggling stuff in our backpacks because yeah, you're not a mule stuff we've got plenty of stuff here but you have the paperwork right then and there, just in case. We do. We have all our receipts, and you know, my wife's very organized like that. And we just, we just, you know, bring in what we're allowed. But um, we bring back lots of spices. So we were on the spice plantations in Zanzibar, and they had things like nutmeg fruit, the fresh nutmeg oh. that you cut it inside, and there you have the nutmeg surrounded by the mace before it's even been dried. And you can't do anything until it is dried, but. Uh, you know, cinnamon that they were peeling straight from the bark of the tree for us to smell, and it was so fresh and incredible. Wow. So exciting stuff um, for us when we're traveling, and I'm sure when, we go, when we're in Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and Qatar and places like that, we're going to be tr tasting a lot of that wonderful cuisine from there too. Um, what do you like to listen to when you cook? Um, well, there are two kind of moods I get into. Uh, one, which is slightly infuriates my wife and she has to shut the door and leave, is I'm a Frank Zappa obsessive. Thank you. <laughs> so if I'm sometimes I'll put on like six hours of Frank Zappa. <laughs> and I think what happens is I don't listen to Zappa for maybe a, mu a few months and then I get into the mood and I turn turn on Zappa and and then I have to listen to lots and lots of it. Um, so yes, that's one thing that I was do. I do, and my wife just has to walk away because she doesn't quite appreciate his skills, particularly if I'm playing some of his more out there albums like Thingfish or something. Ha I'm sorry. Um, have you? I'm sorry. Have you seen Eat That Question yet? Not yet. I have not. Okay. All right. It's. I think it's out on video now. But uh, but yeah, it's it is a Zappa. I mean, it's it's a Frank Zappa documentary, and it's like one of his albums. There's music, there's sound bites, there's more music, there's more. I mean, it's just like one of his regular recordings. Oh, I can't wait! I'm going to have to go and find it. Yep. I saw I saw some trailers for it, so I've been excited to see it. So that tends to be on the music point of view. <laughs> the other thing is, I treat sometimes it's one of the few times when I'm cooking in the kitchen that I I have time to listen to anything seriously because otherwise unless i'm on a plane so i catch up with a lot of my podcasts and there's a wonderful podcast um from the bbc called in our time and it's oh there's about 300 episodes now and each one is uh hosted by a man called melvin bragg who's a real kind of cultural icon in britain and each one will be about a subject it could be an art history philosophy music it could be anything it could be on the nature of you know the mathematical zero or it could be on the observatory of the maharajas in jaipur or it could be about jane eyre it could be you you name it mm -hmm. and then they'll have three academics talking about it for an hour and it it really is like going to university so i listen to that all the time and it's being an hour it's probably just as much as i want to hear about certain subjects you know, whether it's the Epic of Gilgamesh, or they might have a film. In fact, uh, 
I think they, they had one recently on Battleship Temkin. And it's probably all I need to hear on that, an hour's discussion. But it kind of fills in a gap. Silent Breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. And don't forget, Soiling Green, Saturday, February 4th at 3 o'clock at IU Cinema. Big thanks to Simon Majumdar for chatting. Go to simonmajumdar.com for information on him. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So anyway, go see a good movie. You deserve it. Go see an Oscar-nominated film. It's worth it. You deserve it as well. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. 